We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bearport and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. We are officially in the month of June here, you said. The month of May flew by extremely quickly. We are already in organized team activities, the Bears having voluntary OTAs going on right now. Um, but before we talk about the subject of today's podcast, you said, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. It's like you said, May kind of came and went. It really just flew by. And it was, again, it was a weird May because number one, it just felt like we didn't really have a May. But ultimately, I mean, there was just so much anticipation league wide in terms of seeing what this upcoming draft was going to look like. So if we go back about a month and a half, I mean, let's just admit it. The 2023 draft was kind of all over the place in terms of expectations and players being picked in the wear. Yeah, it felt like, you know, we kind of drug on through the pre-draft process because there was a lot to talk about. But there really wasn't a lot going on for May, and we still have a couple things to wrap up for the 2023 draft, which we're going to be doing today. Um, specifically, we're going to be touching on the best and worst drafts, in our opinions, for this upcoming draft. We talked about the NFC North. We've talked about the Bears quite a bit. Now let's try to take a little bit more of a national view of things. Um, but before we get into some draft stuff here, Let's touch on the OTAs because that's probably the, the only exciting thing really going on for Bears news going on right now. And there's a lot I think we can get into. Obviously, you don't want to glean too much into um, these OTA practices because that's – I mean, they're OTA practices, right? There's no hitting. There's no contact. Um, a lot of it is just a lot of install and getting chemistry and a lot of one-on-one -on -one drills and whatnot. But, you know, following things the first few days, you say, what are some of your main takeaways from the first – couple days, couple weeks of Bears organized team activities. 
I mean, like you said, you can't put too much stock into this because it's all voluntary. But if I am looking at this, there's a lot of encouraging talk coming out of Hallis Hall in terms of just what Justin Fields has been able to do with his new wide receiver one, DJ Moore. Again, we'll talk on that connection in just a couple minutes here. But just in general, listening to the coaches talk, listening to the players talk through the media availability, it's very clear that there's this weird change in the air that we necessarily haven't seen at house hall i mean cody white here who is one of the longest tenured members of this team said that everybody's hungry this year and what this coaching staff has done and this front office has done is they've come in and within just a matter of a year they have instilled and really changed and implemented the culture which I would argue it's really foreign for the Bears franchise. And it's a foreign concept in the sense that when we go back and we look at the John Fox years, for example, it took three solid years really for this team to be able to lay a culture down. Now Fox did some good things helping a young roster, but that's not the point. The point is, is this staff is just so much more in tune with the players and everything that is going on, which again, it's positive to see because we've seen this so many times before over the years, especially you and I going into year four of doing this podcast. I mean, or something like that, but it's crazy because what tends to happen is we hear some encouraging news and then everything comes crashing down, but ultimately things are looking up for the bears. It's just a matter of how far up is the arrow pointing for the upcoming season. Yeah. And of course at this time of the year, everyone's going to be positive. Like it's a clean slate for all, all 32 NFL teams. So obviously there's going to be positive vibes going on from everything going on, but obviously it's good to hear some of the players kind of, showing that excitement as well as far as what this year comes to hold. And you know, there is a lot of excitement. I think there's got to be a lot of natural excitement for a lot of these Bears players and coaches because, yeah, last year was rough, but we all knew that it was going to be the case last season. And with a lot of the, uh, talent that they added this offseason, especially you know DJ Moore bringing big names like that, uh, it's going to create some excitement going forward here. But with that said, there are a couple of you know question marks in terms of some players not at OTAs right now. Like again, I should preface this by saying these are voluntary, so these players don't have to be here. Um, this is what you know the Players Association uh, has battled for through the years with their CBA um, to not have players have to be at these voluntary practices, but. You know, Jalen Johnson and Nate Davis, two players in the Bears, um, that Jalen Johnson, in his case, going into a contract year, Nate Davis, a new free agent signing for the Bears this offseason, um, not at OTAs as of right now. Uh, so when you look at these situations, let's look at Jalen Johnson first. What do we make of Jalen Johnson's situation, you said? It is quite a bit of a sticky one because while he was on Chicago sports radio earlier on Thursday, talking about how he's been spending time out on the West coast with his daughter. I mean, that is completely fine. And I understand him being a guy that is going into year four, not wanting to show up for voluntary OTAs. But then again, this is one of those where it's, a double-edged sword because Jalen Johnson is going into year four. He's going into a contract here. He's not really tied to anyone that's running the show at Hallis Hall 
because he is a holdover from the previous regime. Again, a young guy who's been really solid his first couple of years. There's arguments to be made that he hasn't necessarily reached the elite status of being one of the great cornerbacks in this league, but he's been good enough. And one of the major things that's held him back and is going to play such a big role in his contract situation is the injuries. I mean, we knew coming out of Utah that he had the nagging shoulder injury that was always kind of a red flag. He dealt with that his rookie season. The last couple of years, he's dealt with a hand injury. There's been a hip injury in there of some sort. So it's one of those situations where if I'm going to look in the crystal ball and look ahead to what the future could hold, I would argue this. I don't think Jalen Johnson is going to get the fat extension from the Bears that he wants. Ryan Poles being the GM that he is, the way he operates, probably going to let Jalen test the open market. And then Jalen's going to realize, yeah, my price tag isn't as high as I originally thought it was. And then the two sides are going to come to a deal at some point next off season, right around the time of free agency. But it's just one of those where you you kind of want him there because he is one of the longest tenured members on this team. And the whole contract thing just makes it really messy but i will say this it's also just one of those where it's like you can read way too much into this too we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I'm not going to say that Jalen Johnson is lying for saying that um you know he wants to spend time with his daughter more in the offseason i'm sure that's definitely a motivating factor but i also think it is a negotiating tactic to a degree um you know not going to show up without a new contract basically is what he's trying to do here um and you know i i he, look he as a player that's he's going to try to use as much leverage as he can in this situation frankly i don't think the bears are going to like you kind of alluded to are going to pay him this early in the process I think they're going to want to play it out with Jalen you know they, they drafted cornerbacks back-to-back years in the second round we look at Kyler Gordon and uh, Tyreek Stevenson so they're they they've addressed the position in the draft by adding some young talent to the depth chart there um, you know they, they drafted Terrell Smith in this year's draft on day three a developmental guy who definitely has some upside um, so I think they're, they're in a position right now where they don't necessarily have to pay him early. Um, although you obviously want to have as many quality corners on the roster as possible, but I think this is a situation where, yeah, Jalen Johnson is going to try to use whatever leverage he can here. It doesn't mean that he's not going to be back for mandatory OTAs, but, um, you know, he's not going to go to practices that 
he doesn't have to, if that, if that makes sense. Um, and speaking of not going to practices that you don't have to, uh, Nate Davis, free agent signing for the Bears. This one I'm less worried about, but I want to kind of hear your take on it. Uh, you said, what are your thoughts on the Nate Davis situation? Well, even that, you're right. It is a situation that we shouldn't worry too much about. And it is a common trend when guys do miss these voluntary workouts, especially players that have just signed big deals or are going into contract years. We really tend to read too much into the entire situation. Now, we don't know a lot about Nate Davis because he is one of the newest faces in the locker room but I will say this the guy is set to make 10 million this year the Bears are effectively hoping he's able to hold down the right guard situation so as a franchise you better hope everything is completely fine and that he's just taking time away from family or that he's good enough and experienced enough to the point where he's like I don't need these voluntary OTAs but being with a new team it would be beneficial to help build that sense of chemistry that he's going to need to have with Cody Whitehair and Tevin Jenkins along the interior of the offensive line, which again, these OTAs are all about just getting those reps and, you know, shaking off some of the rust because these guys have not had anything serious football wise going on since December, or January. So the Nate Davis one, again, he's a new free agent. He's making a ton of money for the bears this year being paid about 10 million so you better hope everything is okay there yeah apparently this isn't a new thing for davis in terms of not going to voluntary otas um apparently this is something that was normal for him in tennessee to where you know he would miss voluntary otas and train on his own is that something that a lot of veteran players like to do they like to train on their own in the offseason and you know not go to these practices when they don't need to so that this is one of the reasons why um i'm not so worried about the situation look as long as he's there from the mandatory practices and as long as he's ready to go for training camp i really don't care um especially for a guy like nate davis where he's familiar with the system he knows you know this he knows the scheme so it's not it's not not a big deal in terms of learning the offense and learning the techniques and anything like nate davis I, i'm sure he's fine on, in that regard um but you would like to see him there to kind of get chemistry with the guys and get, you know, into that team environment there. So I guess if you want to nitpick him for that part, I, I guess you could do that. But to me, I, I just, I, I see no reason to freak out about this. Like he's a veteran player. He's a pro he's been in this league for a long time or not a long time. He's only been in the league for four years, but we get the point. He's been in the league for a while now. Um, he has his training. You know, this is what he likes to do in the offseason. It's like, this is how he likes to handle the offseason. So I'm not going to get, uh, two up in arms about that. Now, whether the Bears care about that is another story. It's because I know I'm, I'm sure Ryan Poles and Eberflus, I'm sure they care quite a bit about guys being there, even if it's voluntary. So take that for what you will. Uh, but let's move on to one of the more exciting, uh, really, storylines of uh, OTA so far in terms of what's happening on the practice field. And that's the connection between Justin Fields, DJ Moore. It seems like for all the beat guys that have been there, and we know Zach's been there. Um, it sounds like, you know, the big story coming out of these OTAs so far is that Justin Fields and DJ Moore, their connection is really on point right now in these practice sessions. So, you know, you say, when we look forward to this season, what do you think the expectations need to be for, uh, Justin Fields and DJ Moore as a duo here? I mean, as a duo, they have to be near the top of the league. And I understand that that's a lofty expectation, but 
when we look at some of the teams that have acquired wide receivers for their young quarterbacks over the last few years, the Buffalo Bills with Stephon Diggs, the Philadelphia Eagles with Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown, along with Devontae Smith. I mean, those have all been really solid top of the league, one-two wide receiver duels that, again, have helped those teams passing offenses go from being just average to good to all of a sudden being great. And the Bears need Justin Fields and DJ Moore to legitimately take off in that sense as well, because that is what is going to elevate the passing game. I mean, we forget that moving from one to nine back in mid-March was not just about acquiring extra draft picks and having flexibility because this team didn't need a quarterback. It was also about figuring out what this team could do and addressing that big play need at wide receiver. And why? Because we said this back in February, March, and early parts of April, but this was just not a good year to draft or sign a free agent wide receiver simply because the market was just so saturated and guys were going to get paid big money that, quite frankly, should not have gotten paid big money. Key example, the Raiders with Kendrick Bourne. So for Fields and Moore, they need to be on the same page because that is what is going to help this offense just take another step forward. We also have to keep something in mind is that the league has a year of tape at this point on the Bears 2022 offense, as well as what Luke Getze likes to do. But adding DJ Moore into the mix is really what is going to help the offense continue to build and grow because you're adding the element in there of a big play threat at the quarterback position with a big play wide receiver who quite frankly can run any route has great body control is able to separate with ease and again the league doesn't have any tape on what fields and more are able to do in actual games so that's going to be a big factor if i'm sitting in luke Getze's chair i am going absolutely crazy in a good way in terms of all the types of plays that I can draw up with the wide receiver trio that I currently have, but make sure that the offense runs through DJ Moore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, DJ Moore completely changes the offense in terms of what Getsy can run on offense. Cause now you look at DJ Moore in the lineup, the bears can run a lot more 11 personnel with three wide receivers on the field. Uh, they have a guy in DJ Moore who can win one-on-one matchups outside and in the slot. And that just gives you a lot of variety for how you can use these wide receivers to where, yeah, you feel good about Claypool being an outside guy. But now you have two guys in Darnell Mooney and DJ Moore that can switch between being in the slot and playing outside. So that just creates a lot of different um, opportunities for this offense, a lot of different options. And it gives a lot of flexibility to, you know, if Getsy is creative enough in using these guys, there's a lot of flexibility there and he can get very creative in how he utilizes, utilizes these wide receivers to get guys open, which has got to be exciting if you can take advantage of that. But I also think in terms of the expectations, I'm excited for two factors here because one, the expectation should be that Justin Fields takes a jump because of DJ Moore and that connection here. You look at, you know, there is a history of this going back, you know, through the years here. You look at uh, Jalen Hurts last year at the Eagles. You get, even with, you know, wide receiver talent on the roster already, you have Dallas Goddard there um, and Devontae Smith there already for the Eagles. You get A.J. Brown to the mix, a true alpha number one wide receiver, and Jalen Hurts takes off as a passer, right? I uh, look at the Bengals with Joe Burrow. 
they already had TJ T Higgins and Tyler Boyd there at wide receiver. So some good options in the passing game, but you get Jamar chase into that situation and boom, Joe Burrow takes off and takes another step forward as a passer. Um, and some even earlier examples uh, than that. Look at Josh Allen with the Bills, obviously. He's probably the prototype for this, where Josh Allen struggled his first two years as a passer. You get Stephon Diggs in there, a guy who can separate all three levels of the field and just get open, and Josh Allen just becomes the quarterback that he is today. So there is precedent here with you know quarterbacks taking a big jump once you get to add a number one wide receiver to the building. And I also like that you know this puts things in order for the rest of the wide receivers in the depth chart because – you know, Darnell Mooney, he's had to play that number one role over the last few years, which he's just not situated to being, I think. Now he gets to play in his more natural number two role, where he can play off of a number one wide receiver. He can be that deep threat. Uh, he can be a guy that can get yards after the catch underneath against one-on-one coverage and get open there. Um, and it puts Chase Claypool in that number three X role, where his role is basically just to be a blocker on the outside, get some screens once in a while, catch some goal balls, catch some crossers, um, comebacks, all those types of things, you know, jump ball situations as well. You know, it really defines the roles for the rest of these wide receivers, which makes things exciting, I think, going forward here for this receiving core because now you look at the Bears and they have a complete receiving core now. And that's not even to mention, you know, Scott, who they got in the draft, and, you know, if they can get anything out of Vilas Jones as a gadget guy, I think, you know, you have to – put that into consideration as well. Um, but overall, the receiving core looks a lot much better now just because of that one move. So if, if Justin Fields and him have chemistry out of the gate, that makes things extremely exciting for this Bears passing attack here. Um, before we move on to best and worst drafts, any other things you want to touch on real quick, you say, before we get to uh, our draft concept for this week? I mean, we have to give a game ball to rookie cornerback Tyreek Stevenson, 56th overall pick. I mean, how about him just impressing early and often in OTAs? We'll get into this too, but if early, and I'll have an article on this as well, but just early preliminary Bears rookie awards. I mean, give me Tyreek Stevenson. That's going to be one of the guys that probably ends up jumping off the screen as an instant contributor as a rookie. Yep, absolutely. I think it's very encouraging. You know, cornerbacks, it does take them a while usually to get into a groove of things. But if Stevenson, if he can get going right away in the NFL, I mean, that's going to be huge for the secondary because right away we talk about Jalen Johnson potentially not being there, obviously, in these in these workouts right now. But when he gets back, this secondary is set up to be a very solid unit. So I'm very excited to see what he can do. Um, not only in these OTA practice, but training camp and then going forward into the season. But uh, with that said, let's transition over to the topic of today's top podcast, talking about the best and worst drafts from the 2023 NFL draft. This is probably the last topic we're going to talk about for the 2023 NFL draft. And then we're going to switch over to some other Bears storylines and maybe even preview some 2024 draft stuff um, heading into the next college football season. But let's start off on a positive note here, going over the best drafts. So you said, what were your three best drafts uh, from the 2023 NFL draft? Not including the Bears. We're going to leave the Bears out of that. I should say that right now. So this is excluding the Bears in this process. So you said, why don't you get us started? I mean, number one, I have to give it to the Seattle Seahawks. You cap off the Russell Wilson trade where, again, you had the 5th and 20th picks in the draft with Devin Witherspoon and Jackson Smith Jigba. You don't have to love the wide receiver class from the 2023 draft, but one of the things you can't dispute is JSN was the 
best wide receiver on the board. You could also really nitpick and argue it's a bit of a luxury pick because they have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett there. But just what a way to continue to surround Geno Smith, who, again, they hope is going to be the quarterback of the future for at least the next couple of years with some talent. So you get JSN, round out your wide receiver core with Lockett, DK Metcalf. You've got Devin Witherspoon, again, arguably one of the top cornerback prospects in this class. And then how about the haul that the Seahawks got in the second round with edge Derek Hall from Auburn and running back Zach Charbonnet. People may say, well, they drafted Kenneth Walker last year. What about Kenny McIntosh third in the seventh round this year as well? Yes, that's true, but we're forgetting Pete Carroll's a guy who just loves his running back by committee. He loves his big, fast, hard, physical runner. So the Seattle Seahawks got perhaps the most underrated draft class. And as much as we love to talk about teams like the Steelers, for example, or the Eagles, which I know you'll touch on in a moment or two here. I mean, the Seahawks had a, a really good draft. And then you look at the Houston Texans too. This was, again, as a result of a big quarterback trade, the Deshaun Watson trade, the Texans went into this with a high level of flexibility because we know they actively worked the phones. They were speaking to the Bears about moving from two to first overall. That didn't work out. They stay put and they get C.J. Stroud, who, again, is a pretty dynamic quarterback, really good pocket passer too. Ball just zips out of his hand. So you get your quarterback of the future. Thank goodness they're moving on from Davis Mills. But the big thing that put this over the top for me is they also got the top defensive player in this class will anderson jr at third overall so to get your future quarterback as well as your future pass rusher and not necessarily have to go ahead and give up 2024 draft capital i mean that is a really solid haul right there and then you look at the third team that you could argue for me flew a bit under the radar, but they still came away with three really good players within their first three rounds. And so that's the New York Giants for me. Deontay Banks is going to join what I believe is going to be an already solid defense because as much as we want to talk about what Brian Dable did for the Giants offense last year, I think anyone who knows and understands football knows that that was a really good defense last year coordinated by Wink Martindale that put the Giants over the top. Obviously, the quarterback there is not elite by any means. The Daniel Jones extension is going to be one of the biggest boom or bust storylines to watch. But what did the Giants do in an effort to justify paying Daniel Jones $45 million or whatever they paid him? John Michael Schmitz and Jalen Hyatt. Michael Schmitz being one of the better interior offensive lineman in this class, a guy who probably should have gone higher than 57th overall, but just ended up slipping down the board due to the run we saw on some of the receivers, some of the cornerbacks and defensive linemen early. And then Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee, just the guy who developed a reputation being a big time playmaker, which if I look at the Giants playmakers, Darius Slayton, pretty solid Sterling Shepard. All right, cool. You trade for tight end Darren Waller, but then also you add a player like Jalen Hyatt into the mix with a guy like Saquon Barkley. The Giants are showing that 
Daniel Jones may not be this elite big time quarterback by any means. He's never going to be good enough to put a team on his back and be the reason they win the Super Bowl, but they'll do whatever needed to ensure that he has more than enough around him to do his basic job. So in essence, they're telling DJ, you go play point guard. We're going to give you all the pieces around you that you need to be efficient and run this whole thing. And then just some of the depth pieces that the Giants added, like Eric Gray running back, Trey Hawkins, the third cornerback from Old Dominion, some solid special team slash depth insurance right there. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, the Giants had a, a really solid draft, I think. Um, like you said, I mean, John Michael Schmitz, getting him... In the second round, he's a guy that I thought the Bears would be targeting to fill that center position. And, yeah, that was a great value to get, probably the best center in the draft. Uh, Deontay Banks in the first round, really good value there. Uh, just a really solid draft for them. Um, the Seahawks, you know, they, they had some questionable things, I think, on day two and day three. But, honestly, the first round could not have gone any better for them. You get Devon Witherspoon in the first round, a, a true number one corner to pair with Tariq Warren on the outside. And then JSN, who's going to be that slot receiver for them next to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Now they got a full range of weapons um, to go around Geno Smith in that offense. So just setting themselves really well on that side of the ball. And the Texans, very interesting. Like you said, getting C.J. Stroud, I think they did the smart thing, getting the quarterback there, um, and then getting Will Anderson at the top of the draft. Um I will say it is interesting. The first round pick they gave up to trade up was their own pick and not the Cleveland Browns pick. So that's going to be an interesting storyline to watch throughout this next season, because if the Houston Texans, if they're bad again, which it's, it's very possible that they will be because, you know, that roster is still a little bit away, I think from being competitive. Um, You know, the Arizona, Arizona Cardinals are going to set themselves up really well in next year's draft class of all the draft picks that they have. And then that's going to be the first team I go with here, the Arizona Cardinals, because I think they knocked it out of the park, you know, relative to where they were at as an organization. First of all, moving down um, from number three overall to pick up that extra first round pick from the Houston Texans and still getting their guy in Paris Johnson Jr. Who's going to be probably a long-term left tackle for them um, here in the NFL. Um, Obviously, they have DJ Humphreys. They got Josh Jones. They have some good tackle options on the roster right now, but this is a long-term play, I think. And Paris Johnson, he was my number one tackle in this draft class. So to get him after getting a first-round pick and a future third-round pick from the Texans, that is great work uh, from Monty Ozenfort um, in his first draft. And look at some of the other guys they added here. B.J. Ojolari in the second round, you know, an edge rusher that I think can be a solid star in the NFL. They have one of the worst defensive lines in the NFL uh, going into this next season. So they needed a guy who can be a little bit of a pass rusher for them. And B.J. Ojolari should be able to fill that a little bit. Garrett Williams in the third round uh, and Michael Wilson in the third round, two third round picks that, um, 
you know, both of those guys have injury concerns, but are both really talented players. So I like adding, taking chances on those guys in the third round guys that have decent upside. Wilson, he's one of the better route runners in this draft class, just couldn't stay healthy at Stanford and Garrett Williams, you know, one of the better corners in the straps, a very underrated player, I think, but just he missed most of last season with an injury and it's unclear whether he'll be ready to go to start the season. So Again, you're in a position where in the Cardinals where you're rebuilding. You're clearly not competing this year. Why not take a chance on these guys and see if they turn out? Um, some other draft picks they had late on, later on in the, on day three. I like Clayton Toon in the fifth round is kind of like that backup quarterback option for them. He can kind of do a lot of the stuff that Kyler Murray can do in the run game. He's obviously not Kyler Murray um, from that aspect of things. Um, but Owen Popo from Auburn, an athletic linebacker, you know, just try and see what you um, and trying to see if they can coach them up. They have good linebackers already, but you know I, I like taking chances on athletes there day three of the draft. And then Dante Stills, again, they need to add talent to that defensive line. So in the sixth round, I had a higher grade than a sixth-round pick on Dante Stills. So to get him there, um, not bad value. Um, so Cardinals, but the, the thing with the Cardinals was that they – what they really did that was impressive was setting themselves up for the future and getting all those draft picks, which is going to turn out nicely for them, I think, um, in years down the road here. Um, go on to my other winner, my best, my next best draft um, for this year, the Indianapolis Colts, man. I mean, holy cow, um, did they knock this out, of the, this out of the park here? Chris Ballard needed a draft like this to, to I think, you know, save his job in Indianapolis because it's it's been rocky over the past couple of years here because they've gone through these strings of veteran quarterbacks that just hasn't worked out for them. Um, but for them to stay at number four and get the quarterback that I think they wanted all along and Anthony Richardson out of Florida, um, I mean, worked out perfectly for them. It, it really did um, because Richardson, he has a very similar skill set, I think, in terms of, you know, with the coach they have coming over from Philadelphia – you know, he has experience working with a, a mobile quarterback in Jalen Hurts, so he can run a lot of the same stuff with Anthony Richardson. Yes, the accuracy is an issue. Yeah, he's a little bit raw. He uh, doesn't have a lot of experience, but the flashes are there, and he hits like the, the Colts may have gotten the best quarterback in this draft class if Anthony Richardson reaches his ceiling, which is a very high ceiling. And then after that, like they just had <laughs> the most athletic draft, I think, out of any of these teams, like we talked about the Bears going after athletic freaks. I mean, the Colts took that to another level in this draft. First of all, in the second round, getting Julius Brents out of Kansas State, cornerback, big, long, fast, quick for a guy of that size, um, just r- ridiculous athlete. Um, maybe a little bit too early based off of my evaluation, but I, I still like that in the second round for them. He fits their mold. Wide receiver Josh Downs in the third round on uh, North Carolina. I wasn't a huge Downs guy. Um, like I think he was in my top five receivers, but it wasn't like I loved him as a prospect. Um, it's definitely a situation where this wide receiver class wasn't great, but in the third round, that's tremendous value. And then in the fourth round, you get Blake Freeland out of BYU, um, and then Adi Tomiwa out of Bawari. I I like I was flabbergasted when Adi Bawari went all the way here on day three of the draft because I had him as a true second round grade freak athlete. You know, had probably the best workout at the combine this year. And I didn't think his tape was that bad, actually, at Northwestern. Everyone kept on talking about how he's this massive project. You know, he's a great athlete um, in shorts, but not a great player on tape. And I just I just did not see that. I thought he was a pretty solid player. He defends the run well on the edge. He rushes the passer well from the inside. So he's that chess piece where 
He can play on the edge on early downs. You can kick him inside for passing downs, and he can be an impact player for you as that three-tech pass rusher. I don't know. I think the Colts got a huge steal here and out of the war, and he's going to be, I think, a starter sooner than later for them. But go down the board here. They just got great value on day three. Uh, Darius Rush, cornerback out of South Clare, doubling down at that position there. Um, Jalen Jones, cornerback in the sixth round, not a great athlete, but – Again, taking another chance on a quarterback that I thought was pretty solid for them. Will Mallory and Evan Hole, a tight end and running back out of Miami Northwestern, I think are two guys that could play roles early on in their careers for this offense. So you look at everything they got. They got a franchise quarterback, you think, you know, in Anthony Richardson. They took took a swing there. They got a lot of athletes. They got a lot of guys with upside. They got great value on day three of the draft. I mean, there's not much not to like about this Colts draft. I thought they – I thought – where they were as a franchise, they knocked it out of the park. Um, then the last draft for me, I, I, I was going back and forth between two drafts here, and that's the Eagles and the Steelers here. I'll just say on the Eagles real quick, like they got the best player in the draft in Jalen Carter. I know all the off-field issues are there and whatever, but I, I think Carter is going to be a phenomenal player for them in Philadelphia. But I want to touch on the Steelers draft here because the Steelers did um, really something special here. Um, knocked it out of the park in this draft in the first round, they get Broderick Jones out of Georgia. They had to trade up to go get him. Um, So solidifying that tackle position, which was an issue for them the last few seasons Um, Jones, he's not going to be ready to be an impact guy right away, but I think he's got a lot of upside. And then in the second round, they had two second round picks and the pick they got from the Chicago bears getting Joey Porter jr. Out of Penn state cornerback, a guy that almost everybody had them picking in the first round. So they get a guy who's a first-round talent who everyone thought was going there in the first round anyway. You get him at the beginning of the second round. He's going to be a day-one starter for them at cornerback. Um, and then in the second round, they get Keanu Benson as well, defensive lineman out of Wisconsin. Perfect value for him in the middle of the second round. They need to beef up the defensive line with Cam Hayward getting older. And Benson, it's very possible that in a couple of years, he's probably not going to be on the level of Hayward, but he's going to fill in as that three-tech, versatile, one-tech guy who can just – be a guy who makes a lot of impact plays on the defensive line. But the great value adds did not stop there. In the third round, you get Darnell Washington on Georgia, a guy that most people had as a borderline first-round pick. I didn't see him as that high, and it sounds like he dropped through the injury concerns. But, I mean, at the end of the third round, great value there. You get Nick Herbig out of Wisconsin in the fourth round, a perfect scheme fit. And then in the seventh round, just for – just to have fun with it. Uh, they get quarterback Corey Trice out of Purdue, a guy that I had in late day two grade on um, just a freak athlete at like six foot three, 210 pounds or whatever um, who can run extremely fast. So I thought they knocked it out of the park too. So the Steelers uh, having a great draft Colts having a great draft and uh, the Cardinals having a draft, great draft. I thought all three teams did very well for themselves um, in 2023 here. Um, but while there were a lot of great drafts out there, there were also a lot of bad drafts, I think, in this draft. And that maybe not as many um, terrible drafts as this year's uh, draft, but what were some of the worst drafts for you this year, you said? Yeah, there were a handful. And again, for me, I'm just going to go ahead and say I thought the Washington Commanders had a really questionable draft here because while I understand the thought process, says the batting Emmanuel Forbes and Jertavius Martin, two cornerbacks with your first two picks. I mean, if we're going to be honest, I look at the roster and 
they're outside of defensive line some of the wide receivers you need a quarterback there this was the perfect draft where you could have gone up and again i understand will levis was on the board while his projections are all over the place but you know what will levis may have went in round two to the tennessee titans ultimately what it comes down to is you need a long-term solution because i just don't foresee a situation where a player like a Sam Howell or Jacoby Brissett or Jake Fromm. I mean, that's a pretty poor competition right there, but I will say I will root for Sam Howell. So for the Washington commanders to go in this and not even, you know, think about selecting a quarterback, I don't think was very smart. You look at some of their late day two, early day three selections, like Ricky Stormberg, Braden Daniels, KJ Henry, center, offensive tackle, defensive end. And then you've got Chris Rodriguez Jr. running back and Andre Jones, a defensive end. This draft class to me, outside of Emmanuel Forbes, pretty much what it screams is, hey, let's go ahead and let's just add this step to the roster instead of trying to go ahead and find some starters. So this is a situation where, Again, it's a team that's going to finish at the bottom of the NFC East because they are trying to figure out who they are. I don't foresee a situation where Ron Rivera is in Washington come 2024. This is a team that's ready for a complete reset. And I will offset this by saying, too, when you go ahead and invest in the defensive line with a guy like K.J. Henry, there's two things to note. Number one, the Clemson linemen in this draft from Miles Murphy to Brian Breesey to KJ Henry, the projections throughout the pre-draft process were in fact all over the place. The second thing is that they have a decent defensive line there. So that's a pick that could have been used in a much better capacity to address a completely different position. Cause you got Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Deron Payne, Casey Two Hill, Fariot, and Mathis. Some really good players there, but adding more to the D line, I understand. I've said, well, you can never have too many pass rushers or guys getting after the quarterback. But I just don't think for Washington's situation it was the smartest thing to do. And the looking at the New Orleans Saints, I mean Again, they're still trying to figure out who they are post Drew Brees, Sean Payton. I think that when we look at the Saints overall, I mean, the selection of Brian Breezy, Isaiah Foskey, two defensive linemen in the first two rounds, pretty solid there. You could have argued that they should have possibly looked into adding someone on the offensive line, especially with that 29th overall pick, knowing that that O-line is good, but some of those guys – like in Andres Pete, for example, do continue to get older. You know, there's no guarantee that someone like a Trevor Penning or a Calvin Thockmorton steps in and plays a specific role and magically flips the switch. And then third round, you know, running back Keandre Miller. Um, I'm not necessarily a major proponent of selecting running backs before the fourth round. So again, a bit of a reach there knowing that you have Alvin Kamara and then the rest of the this draft class down was just all depth. Nick Salvadari, OT, Jake uh, Hayner, quarterback from Fresno State, Jordan Howden, safety from Minnesota, and A.T. Perry from Wake Forest, a wide receiver. Those are four players to me where you're going to get the classic New Orleans Saints kind of deal with them. And what I mean by that is they are either going to be solid depth rotational pieces or they are going to get cut during the first one or two rounds in training camp when teams decide to trim rosters down and then the team that i thought had perhaps the poorest draft 
And that is because they are relying on the head coach to fix the quarterback, which is Peyton fixing Russell Wilson. The Now, while I understand for Denver, they didn't have a first-round pick because of the Russell Wilson trade. I mean, it is still a situation where Marvin Mims, he was a wide receiver at Oklahoma, big play guy. But the question is, what is his role going to be? on this Denver Broncos offense, knowing that we've seen Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy be in the rumor mill. So adding Mims makes them both more expendable, but it's not necessarily something where you for sure say like, yeah, Marvin Mims is going to step up and literally force the front office to say, oh, we have a younger guy on a cheaper contract, going to push him out the door. And then Drew Sanders, again, an old school physical linebacker from Arkansas, solid, but I thought that they're, the selections for the Broncos could have used them better. Same with cornerback Riley Moss, safety JL Skinner at center Alex Forsyth. The Broncos in this draft, what they did is added some talent with Marvin Mims, even though they may have not allocated that talent necessarily in the right place. And this is more of a reflection on the general manager, George Payton, who again, made the conscious decision to hire Nathaniel Hackett a year ago, and then also pulled the trigger on a Russell Wilson trade, then didn't pan out. And then the ownership got involved. And so right now this draft for the Broncos was all about just, let's just pick to pick knowing that we do have four to five selections we're going to have to use this year and hope that something comes of each of these guys. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, yeah. For me, um, the three words dressed for me is I had one, the Lions. I already talked about that in our NFC North uh, podcast on the subject. So if you want to get my thoughts on the Lions, go check out that episode. But I thought just to sum those up that, you know, they got good players in this draft, but the value in which they got them, um, very just poor, poor value compared to what they could have done with those draft picks. But we move on to some of the other drafts that I did not like as much. Um, and the first one's got to be uh, the other one's got to be the Jaguars, Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, in the first round, you know, the one pick I did like for them was Anton Harrison tackle out of Oklahoma. You know, they let Juwan Taylor leave in the offseason. You know, it sounds like Cam Robinson's going to be suspended for the first, I think, six weeks, four to six weeks of the season. So um, you want to secure that tackle position. You want to make sure you have depth there. Um, you know, they already have, gosh, I'm missing on the name, but the guy they picked in the second round a couple of years ago who's going to be filling out right tackle already. So um, now they have three tackles there who can play. You know, I, I don't mind taking that swing there. They didn't really have a ton of glaring needs in this roster anyway, so that was fine. But you look at the rest of the picks that they made on day two. Like, yeah, they traded down a lot and got some extra pick, picks, which I like. But Brent Strange in the second round, 61 overall, a tight end. That's a massive reach. I thought he was a day three guy, a guy who's a good blocker, but didn't show that he had the ability to create his own separation as a receiver. I just thought with all the other tight ends on the board here, like that was just a, a egregious reach um, at that point in the draft. And then Tank Bigsby at, at running back out of Auburn. That's another one where, again, deep running back draft class. And Tank Bigsby, a guy that I wasn't 
huge on at that part of the draft. I thought they could have waited a little bit. And again, running backs, not a need for them. Travis Etienne um, is already there as a first round, former first round pick. They did not need to, you know, draft a running back that high, especially Tank Bigsby, who I don't think is going to be worthy of the selection. And then, you know, day three, I just, you know, I, I think Antonio Johnson was fine. Um, it's kind of like a nickel guy. Parker Washington was it was solid value in the sixth round wide receiver, but Tyler Lacey, Ventral Miller, two underwhelming guys at the top of the fourth round. I like Yasir Abdullah for them. I think he's going to be a good fit. But ultimately, I just look at this draft for the Jaguars, and it's not the most exciting, in my opinion. I think they could have done a little bit more with what was available to them. I do like though that they traded down quite a bit. They are in a situation to where. Um, you know, they're going to be in a tight cap situation moving forward. So getting some extra picks was good for them. And again, it's not the worst draft in the world, but, you know, I, I do think it was a little bit underwhelming given, you know, where they're at as an organization. And then the one draft that I just really, I just cannot stand. The one draft that I think is just straight up bad, like there is no redeeming quality to this draft here. That has to be the San Francisco 49ers. And, I get it. Like, look, they didn't have a lot of draft picks early on, so you knew that they weren't going to get too many big-name impact guys here. But you look at the you – know, they had three thir- third-round picks because of comp picks in this draft, and they lit every single one of them on fire. Jair Brown out of Penn State is a fine player at safety, but they already have a safety who kind of fills that box safety role in Telefanga Hufanga. So they're already fine at that role on their secondary already. And then you add to the fact that in the third round, they take a kicker, Jake Moody. Why do they need to take a kicker this high in the draft when they have offensive line needs, they need defensive line depth, they need secondary depth. You know, they need a quarterback depth apparently because they don't believe in Trey Lance. Brock Purdy may not even be ready to start the season. So are you going to be relying on Sam Darnold? Like, there, there were a million different directions they could have gone in, and they basically, yeah, Jake Moody could be a good kicker for them. But in the third round, you're taking a kicker in the third round, like, made no sense for the 49ers. Um, and then in the third round, Cameron Latu, tight end of Alabama, just like, why? Why? If you're if you're going to take a tight end there, why not take Darnell Washington with your first third-round pick who was there on the board for you? Like, I don't understand the Cameron Latu pick whatsoever. He was not a third-round guy. He was a late day three guy all the way who's getting, you know, by on the fact that he went to Alabama. That's about it. Like just terrible, terrible, terrible selections there um, in the third round there. And then outside of those pick, like I don't really love any of their day three selections either. There's nobody that really stands out to me. Yeah. Like maybe D winters can be something, but you already have good linebacker depth there. You know, it wasn't something that was a, a massive need for them. Again, day three of the draft, you're not picking for need, but um other than that, like Ronnie Bell, maybe he can be something. Jalen Graham, I don't know. Like this draft was just not good. And for the 49ers being the situation they're in right now where they are a win now team, you know, again, they didn't have they weren't going to get many impact guys anyway, just because they didn't have a first or a second round pick. But it's just it's very frustrating. They they got nothing out of this draft class, I think, outside of a kicker who was way overdrafted. So Moody maybe maybe Moody has to be like the best kicker in the NFL right out of the gate. He has to be Justin Tucker essentially to make that a worthy selection at that point in the draft. And there's a very small chance he's going to be Justin Tucker because Justin Tucker is the best kicker ever. So 
if, if we can be the best kicker ever, ever, I'll eat my words, but that's just, yeah, that was just a brutal draft for the 49ers. I don't know what they were thinking with this one. I'll be honest, but at least they didn't take a running back high in the draft that was going to get benched for an undrafted free agent later on. So at least they got that, that they didn't do. Um, anyway, let's, I think it's a good time to wrap it up for this episode here. We talked about quite a bit about the 2023 draft. I know we're probably excited to move on to the 2024 draft, but you know, we'll see what happens there in, in our next episode until next time, Bears fans, make sure to like rate and subscribe to this podcast and all podcasting platforms for blue wire and the bear report. Also make sure to follow us on social media at Pick for, picks for polls on Twitter. You said where can our listeners find you on social media and find your work. Yeah, you guys can find me on social media at Usaid Koshal. Check out my work on the Bear Report. I'll have a lot of stuff dropping throughout the summer. Yeah, absolutely. You can find my work on the Bear Report as well, and you can find me on social media on Twitter at AJFreeman25. Make sure you give me a follow there. Um, Other than that, until next time, Bears fans, uh, hopefully we get some more news from OTAs, but until then, have yourselves a great and happy weekend, and stay safe, Bears fans. See you until next time. Bear down.